You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. All right, if you will turn to Revelation chapter 3, that's where we're going to begin this morning. We are actually at the end of a series, so if you're new today or newer, uh, let me just kind of catch you up to speed with where we've been and kind of where we're headed. If you need the Riverside app, you can download that, and there's digital notes you can find in there. If you like paper notes, they're in there, in the bulletins as well, and there are Bibles under the chairs. If you need to find the last book of the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be. So where we've been for these last uh, seven weeks is we've been walking through one component of a larger theme that we've been in for the last year. We've been talking about bold faith and how as followers of Jesus were to have bold faith. And in this particular series, we've been looking at how bold faith can handle the truth. And so in this series, we've been talking about how Jesus, through the apostle John, one of his first followers while he was on an egg, on exile island of Patmos, is writing to seven churches. And each one of the messages that Jesus speaks through John through John to those churches was specifically aimed for their context and what they were in most need of. Today's letter is no exception to that. Jesus is going to say some very specific things to them that still have implications for us today. Um, so that's where we're going to be. And as we get going here, I want to just ask you, as we, the title of the message today, you'll see there in the notes, is Gag Mail. So what is it that makes you gag like the most. When you smell it, when you see it, when you hear it, if you have that thought, you remember. How many of you have a restaurant that right now comes to mind because you once puked everywhere after you ate there at a specific restaurant? Anybody? Red Lobster for us, man. Amy and I, dear God, we see it and we just start running the other direction. Okay, so yes, I'm going to use the words puke, vomit, spit up, gag, all of that stuff. In fact, I had a video that I really wanted to show you. Uh, Joshua and David Marsh, back when they were kids, like six and seven years old, both were trying to eat um, uh, French onion covered grasshoppers. And we have it on video. And let's just say David's made it down, Joshua's not so much, but... Uh, I, my wife wouldn't let me show it to you, just to be honest. So if you'd like to see it, it is on my phone. If you'd like to come up afterwards, and <laughs> that wouldn't be enjoyable for you. So uh, anyway, what is it that if you got it in the mail, would you, you would open it up and you would just be like, ugh, ugh. Like for instance, if you want to make me gag, send me a big old case of celery. I open that up and I just went, ugh. Anybody else hate celery besides me? It is of Satan himself. <laughs> Apparently, there's like two or three of us in the room. The other one that would just, just make me want to gag is if uh, you sent me a big uh, box of chocolate chip cookies and you put walnuts in it. God did not intend for walnuts to ever enter a chocolate chip cookie. So for those of you at the end, you know who you are who like that. The altar will be open that you can come and talk to Jesus about whatever it is that you need to talk to him about today. One time years ago, many, many, many years ago, it was one of my first uh, Christianity 101 classes that I was in. And it was the first night there had been a lady, precious 
dear lady. She was of retirement age and, and she loved to bake. And so this particular night was the very first night and we were introducing. She'd been in the church for several months. And I saw that when she, when I went into my office that night before group, that there was this big plate bound of, of chocolate chip cookies with the, you know, plastic wrap over the top. And I looked inside and I was like, oh, nuts, walnuts, Satan himself, ah, right here in my desk. And so anyway, I didn't think anything of it, went into the group. There's about 25 or 30 of us. So we're going through and everybody's introducing themselves. I was saying, you know, what's your name? How long you been coming? Uh, what are you hoping to get out of this experience? Tell me a little bit about yourself. So everybody, so I was the last one. Five minutes left and I was gonna introduce myself. So I say, you know, my name's David. I'm from Missouri, blah, 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 blah. And the one thing that you need to know about me is that I love chocolate chip cookies unless they have walnuts in them. And right at that moment, I locked eyes with her. She was seated on the back row and I was like, ha, ha. Nowhere to go, no rock to crawl under. She literally came up to me afterwards and I said, I'm so sorry. She said, no problem. And next week, wouldn't you know, there was a plate of chocolate chip cookies with no nuts on my desk. So uh, that was just awesome. So what is it that would make you gag? You get it in the mail and you just want to throw up, okay? One, two, three, tell your neighbor on your left, tell your neighbor on your right, answer that question. What is it that would make you gag? Go ahead. So in our text today, we're actually going to discover what is it, the answer to the question, what is it that makes God gag? Because Jesus actually speaking on behalf of his heavenly father and all of heaven actually says that there are a couple of things that make God gag. So Revelation chapter three and verse 14 is where we're going to pick it up today. We're going to read about the church in Laodicea. Here's what John writes as Jesus speaks, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Now, uh, the angel, as we've been saying each week, this is the pastor, the elder, kind of the leader of the church, to the, the leadership team, to the elder, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Let me just pause there and just say that this faith family was struggling with loyalty, and with obedience. And Jesus is going to declare himself supreme as he does in many of these letters. He says there, these are the words of the amen. In other words, Jesus was perfectly obedient to the father. Amen means let it happen. And Jesus lived with that yes, heavenly father. Yes, God. He lived with that kind of a mentality, with that kind of an approach. And it actually kind of refers back to one of the Old Testament names for God. He says that he's the faithful as opposed to their unfaithfulness. He says that he's the true witness. In other words, he was the one who perfectly responded in obedience to suffering. This idea of a true witness is where we get our word martyr from today. And he was the ruler. And he, in other words, he's the source and he's the origin of all creation, of all of God's creation. And in, in this proclamation of who Jesus is, he's saying, you know what? I'm greater than all of the gods and goddesses that you worship. 
And he's correcting any false impression that evil might be in control, that evil might win in the end. He's saying, nope, I'm in control. I'm greater than Zeus, Apollo, Hades, Hera, and Athena. All of those were the gods and goddesses of the town of Laodicea. And Jesus says, I am greater than all of those things. He says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about literally to vomit you out of my mouth. Go ahead and say that with me. I'm about to vomit. Now say that, just vomit. Just let that come out. Come on, vomit. You can say vomit in church. There you go. You won't remember anything else I've said today, but vomit. Puke, whatever you want to say there. I'm about to spew you out of my mouth, Jesus says. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Now, here in this verse, we begin to get a picture of the two things that makes God gag. First one is that God gags at our self-sufficiency. The sin of pride, when it says, I am rich, there's a pride and, and, and uh, arrogance about that, and I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. God gags at our self-sufficiency. The pride and the arrogance that comes with that self-sufficiency mindset. That sounds a lot like this. God, I don't need you. I can do it on my own. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm fast enough. My abilities are adequate. I don't need to depend on the Holy Spirit. And I don't need to surrender every day. I don't need to fall on my knees in humility. I don't need to be in community. I don't need to experience accountability from other people. I don't need to do that stuff. I can do it on my own. And when we declare our dependency like that or our independency upon God or reject God in that way, God says, you know what? That turns my stomach. So what is it about this particular church that would tempt them to be self-sufficient like they are? What is it about this experience at this local church that would cause them in this way to stiff arm God just a bit? And to answer that question, I want to begin by, we've got four sections today. This will work out really well for where we're going to be headed. So you guys here in this uh, left center section, you guys are the Laodiceans, okay? You guys are the community at large. You're worshiping the Roman goddesses and gods. You're into all of that. You're what we would call today pagans in that sense, okay? So just feel free to look around, see who's there. You're the community at large there in Laodicea. Let's all look at them and judge them, okay? Just have a real bad attitude. No, that's not how it works. But here we go. Laodicea was a community that... prided themselves because they were strategically located. They were in the Lycos Valley, and if you wanted to get from Europe by land, if you wanted to get to the Middle East or to Africa, you had to go through Laodicea. There were three major roads that converged right at Laodicea. It had a very high ethnic diversity, a very uh, well-known for their commerce and their economic opportunities. They were incredibly wealthy. In fact, here's what I'll say to you guys. You were more wealthy than any of the communities or any of the churches that we read about in the other six letters. You guys are stinking rich. 
You glad you're in this section? It's great to be rich, huh? Like that. But that's exactly what it was like in Laodicea at that time. You're very, you have a lot of energy, very high energy group of people. You're extremely motivated. You're very creative. You see opportunity and you dream big. In fact, History tells us that in AD 26, they put a bid out to build a temple on behalf of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. And if you can think about that like this, today you know how big it is when a city gets the Olympics. There's a lot of wealth, there's a lot of prestige, there's a lot of fame that goes with that. That's exactly what was happening here, and Rome turned them down. Tiberius said, you guys, you don't have what it takes. And so for the next 30 years, you guys have a huge economic, complete overhaul, and you become one of the wealthiest cities in all of that time. In 30 years, in fact, in AD 60, there would be an enormous earthquake because one of the drawbacks to Laodicea was that you were actually on the fault line. There was an earthquake that leveled a good portion of the community. And when Rome went to send assistance, by now Nero's the emperor. And at this point, Rome says, hey, we'd be happy to assist you guys. What do you need? They were so prideful of this and they were, had said such an economic turnaround that they actually said to Rome, they said to Nero, no thanks, we've got this covered. We can handle this on our own. We are self-sufficient. And they actually turned down all of that economic assistance that they needed at that time. Their town motto, we'll put it up on the screen, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. Can you say that with me? Can you guys right here help me out here? All right. I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. So that's the perspective of what's happening in this. You were a leader in technology. All of the cultural trends of the day went through Laodicea. In fact, they had a huge textile industry and there was black wool that would only come from Laodicea. So for the rest of you that might be wealthy in your own communities that we're gonna talk about, if you bought your toga, you bought it from Laodicea. When you were walking around in your toga that was looking all nice and awesome, that came from the wool that was often there in Laodicea. And so they had this huge change in their culture and in their financial state. Not only that, but they had state-of-the-art for that time medical facilities, and they were the leaders in ophthalmology, the study of the eyes, and they developed from a Phrygian powder this... Um, salve-like kind of a thing that they would distribute then all over the world that was helping to create their income, to generate resources and revenue, but it also was actually helping people to be able to see better. Whatever breakthroughs they were having medically, that was happening in Laodicea. And all of this goes to what Jesus says that we're going to look at here in just a moment. But in the middle of all of this affluence, all of this technology, all of this innovation and educational significance is a self-sufficient city that did not need help and that even an earthquake could not stop. And in the middle of all of that, you have the self-sufficient church of Laodicea. That's you guys right here. You guys are a part of Laodicea you're trying to follow Jesus, but you've got a mentality that you're self-sufficient. Yours says, we're rich. We've acquired wealth. It's not so individualistic. Now it's more of a corporate aspect to it. We don't need God. In fact, isn't God lucky that he has us? 
Think about what his kingdom is gonna do. Think about the movement and how Jesus is gonna move forward because we're with him. That's the mentality that the Laodicean church had. So you got the family or you got the people of Laodicea, you got the church of Laodicea, and Jesus says, you know what? Actually, it's a mess. Because your self-sufficiency makes me wanna gag. Because I didn't die for you to be self-sufficient. That's not how my movement works, Jesus says. In fact, he's gonna experience, he's gonna tell them right now what their true condition is. Look at it with me in verse 17. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom, don't miss this, I love, I rebuke. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. In other words, he reproves us, he corrects us, he doesn't expel us. This is about discipline, this is about correction. So be earnest, in other words, steadfast and and serious about this and repent. It's interesting to note that the spirit there that Jesus doesn't say, you know what, you're rich and you're well-educated and you're wealthy and and you don't have many needs. So just remember, church and Laodicea, just remember, that's awesome, just remember to stay humble. Just remember to be generous. Just watch your attitude. He doesn't say any of that. He says, you do not realize your true condition. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wouldn't you have been loved to have been there that day when they opened up this letter? A little challenging. But that's the human condition for everyone, isn't it? Self-sufficient people don't realize it, though, sometimes, many times. That's your true condition, Jesus says. But I don't want you to stay that way because I love you. I care about you. I want there to be a transformation. And so in verse 18, he begins to give them some counsel. Look at it there with me. He says, get your gold from me. Forget about the gold, the financial resources that you're trying to put your trust in, that you think can engineer your identity and your security that you're so proud of. Instead, store up for your treasures in heaven. Money is just temporary. Don't let it hold on to you. Don't clutch it. Get the real thing. Get get what's going to last. Buy gold from me. He's trying to reorient where they're going to put their trust. Rather than in the riches, nope, get it from me. And then he says, hey, let's talk about your clothes. The black wool that you're so famous for with your designer labels. I've got a better deal for you. I'm gonna give you white clothes to wear so that you can be clothed in my righteousness. Let me do a fashion makeover because uh, your nakedness, your self-sufficiency, it's showing. Everyone can see it. You can't see it because you're unaware of it, but that's your true condition. So if you'll let me clothe you, then you'll really be something to look at. And for those of you who are living in a land of wonder drugs for the eyes, let me do a laser procedure on you, Jesus says. I want to give you 20-20 vision. You are blind to your arrogance, 
to your pride, to your your fragility and your mortality. And I want to help you with that. I want you to help, I want you to be able to see with my eyes, from my perspective. I want you to have a breakthrough here and I want you to be able to see the spiritual reality all around you. I don't want you to miss this because you think you're dependent upon yourself and you are self-sufficient, but ultimately you're blind, you can't see, and I don't want you to keep bumping into things. Let me help you. This whole piece is let me help you with this self-sufficiency thing. And I'll be honest with you. I wrestle with this. God has been showing me time and time and time again as we've been walking through this. You know, it's one thing to say, I trust Jesus and I'm, I'm dependent upon him, but it's a whole nother thing when your kid gets ready to leave. And you're like, God, I'm not really sure if you actually care about him enough. I, I think I'm gonna handle this for you. God, I'm not sure if you've got enough resources to really deal with this, so I'm gonna stress and not sleep at night to make sure he's actually got everything he needs. Does anyone understand what I'm saying? Anybody feel that experience? Maybe for you, it's something different. You're sufficient in some other way, but you wrestle with this and you want to say, in fact, you do say verbally, yes, I'm dependent upon you, God, but the way that you're acting right now in this season that you find yourselves in, no one else would realize that you're dependent upon God because you're trying to be all self-sufficient inside and it's tearing you up and it's wrecking you and you can't sleep and you can't eat and you're just, ugh. You know, fun to be around because ultimately you've bought into the lie that you're supposed to be all sufficient. And Jesus says, actually, no. No, I want you to be sufficient in me. You can't be sufficient on your own. So come and find your identity in me. Is this for anybody today? Because it sure is for me. I needed to hear this. God has a very cool way of doing that. And if you think about Western Christianity, where we find ourselves in, we live in Laodicea. And it's time for us to confess our self-sufficiency in concrete ways. Maybe for some of you, you've not prayed in days, weeks, months, maybe even years, because you just think it all depends on you. Today is a day to begin to say, you know what, I'm gonna talk to you, God, Maybe for you it didn't happen in the time frame that you wanted or it didn't happen in the way that you thought it should. So you stopped talking to God about the things that are of concern to you. And so for now, you've become self-sufficient, but God is saying, you know what? Would you come? Would you talk to me again? Because ultimately, you can't do this on your own. For others of us, we think about what we might want to confess. It's we're hanging on to the gold. We're clutching with both hands. It's gonna just disappear. You can't go with it into eternity. For others of us, it's judging others by worldly standards. It's being fueled by the wrong ambitions. It's wanting to hold on to the hurt and to the resentment of someone else. And we're saying, you know what? No, I'm gonna be in control. And God says, that makes me wanna gag. And he says that to us because he loves us and he knows that it's a dead-end way of living. Can you handle the second thing that make God, makes God gag? Yes, no, should we stop now? I'm going anyway, so uh, 
it'd be nice uh, to have your vote of confidence. <laughs> Verse 15, again, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Second thing that makes God gag is our complacency, our half-heartedness, and our indifference. So who are you guys again? Help me out. You're the town of Laodicea. Who are you guys? You're the church in Laodicea. Okay, you guys over here. So your neighbor fell asleep. Wake up. You're Heropolis. Okay, can you say that with me? One, two, three. Heropolis. Welcome back to the newlyweds. Congratulations. Good to see you guys here today. Welcome to Heropolis. You didn't know you'd moved into Heropolis. Glad to have you guys. So you guys are Heropolis, and you guys are the place where the hot springs were, na were naturally there. Okay, so it's easy to remember. Heropolis, hot. H&H, &H, that's how God helps me remember stuff. So Heropolis, hot. Okay, what kind of springs? Hot springs. All right. Where are you from? Awesome. You got it down. Okay. You guys over here, you guys are Colossae. Say that with me. Colossae. Okay. And you guys are where the cold springs. See how this works out? Colossae, cold, Heropolis, hot. The cold springs are where you guys are. Okay. So what kind of springs? Cold. All right. So we got the town. We got the church. Then we've got this Heropolis over here, and we've got Colossae over here. Colossians, the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote was actually written to you guys. So here's what we've got. We've got this town, Laodicea, in the middle. Now, Heropolis, as you see on the map there, is about six miles north of Laodicea. And it was a very therapeutic, known for its therapeutic hot springs. So people would bring the wounded people, they would bring their sick and the elderly and those that just needed refreshing, and they would bring them to the hot springs. And this was a place where people could find healing and wholeness. And they would bring them from all over the area. In fact, you can still go there today and you'll find the hot springs there in that area. And then on the other side of it, you had the cool, refreshing places where you could go to the cold springs and get water. And these pictures that you'll see on the screen, these are actually modern-day pictures of what we know to be Laodicea now. Now, in the middle, you've got this town of Laodicea, and they don't have the hot springs, and they don't have the cold springs, but they're very, very wealthy. They're very well off. So what they decide to do is they decide, we're going to build aqueducts from Laodicea up to Heropolis and down to Colossae. And we're going to get the hot water from here, and we're going to get the cold water from here because our water is hard and it doesn't taste very good and it's lukewarm and we don't really like it. In fact, how many of you have ever actually drank some really lukewarm water and you just wanted to spit it out of your mouth or maybe you have? That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when you send the water down from the hot springs and get by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's lukewarm and it's not really worth anything. Anybody hate taking a bath? in lukewarm water. It's just not very fun. And we even hate it more when it's the cold water, but by the time it gets to us, it's lukewarm. It's tepid. It's good for nothing. And so Jesus, knowing exactly who his audience is, he says, guys, you're neither cold, cold or hot. I wish you would pick one, be one or the other, because I have a very specific plan for you as my followers. 
I actually want you to live to where when people encounter you, when they're hurting, when they're in need, when they're in pain, when they've experienced rejection and persecution and hardship and famine and nakedness, I actually want you to be therapeutically warm in their world. I want you to offer them assistance. And I want you to be refreshingly cool with the way that you live your life as well. Now, I wanna introduce you to one of my friends at our house. Any of you have one of these kinds of things? It's a bag of beads, and you can put it in the microwave, and you can warm it up, and it's awesome. How many have, anybody have bad backs? This is like one of my best friends. I put this on my back when I've got uh, lower back problems. So I can put this in the microwave, and it can be really hot, and it can be really uh, therapeutically warm. Or I can put this in the freezer when I need to decrease the swelling, and I can put it in the freezer, and it can be really, really cold. Can't be both at the same time, but it can be helpful. That's kind of like what Jesus is saying in our world today. We don't get this as well because we just simply have ice and we can heat things up very easily. But in Jesus' day, in this first century, it's as if the Holy Spirit is saying to Riverside, to you and to me, if you'll let me in, I will use you to heal the world one life at a time. You can be kind of like an oasis because people are thirsty. When you think about people being thirsty around us, it's an unsatisfied desire that people have. And many times they don't even know what they're thirsty for. Maybe you're here today and you don't know why you're here. You just came because you heard there was dinner afterwards. You heard that there was a church in a mall and you wanted to come check it out and we're glad you're here and we'll hope that you keep coming back. But you may not realize that there's a hunger, there's a thirst for something more and that thirst is God-given. The Holy Spirit places that within us and it's an unsatisfied desire until we find a relationship with Jesus. And so we give people a cool drink in Jesus' name. And then by the way that we live, by the way that we talk, we tell them about the hope that we have in Christ. So be cold and refreshing. Be hot and therapeutic. But whatever you do, Jesus says, don't just stand in the middle and do nothing. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be tepid. Don't be useless. He says, engage with your community. Engage with the people around you. Live in such a way that when they encounter you, they find a warmth and a refreshingness and a healing aspect and there's a coolness and there's a refreshingness about us by the way that we live. Think about the followers of Jesus that you've encountered who live like that. Are they not contagious to be around? So many of you live that way. And this is a reminder to continue to live that way, to not give up living that way. Living in such a way that you're actually both, not either or. Jesus says in verse 20, here I am. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you've grown up in a religious environment, you've heard this referred to many times to people who are yet to find Christ. This is actually written to a group of believers. It's written to a group of believers, the church in Laodicea. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. 
That word for eat there is the main meal of the day. It was a very leisurely experience. It wasn't a quick snack. Let's just get in. Let's get out. Jesus says, you come, let me in. I will come in. We'll have a meal together, and there will be a sense of continual fellowship with me. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And as I was victorious, just as I was victorious, and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's as if Jesus says to us today, I'm still knocking. Your life could be so much more. Riverside could be so much more. I want to do life with you through my spirit. I want to eat with you. I want to walk with you. I want to open your eyes so that you can see. I want to dress you in my righteousness, and then you'll really be something to look at, not for your glory and splendor, but for his. He says, I want to do life with you every single day where you are completely dependent upon me. I want you to let go of all the gold and take real riches from me. I want to turn you loose to spread the good news. I want you to leave here today and go into your offices and go into your schools and go into your campuses and live hot, live cold. Be both and. Doesn't have to be either or. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, hey, today is a therapeutically hot day. This person that you're coming in contact with, they need that. Today they need a refreshing, cool drink. So give them that and give the Holy Spirit access so that you can live in such a way that you are both. Not just tepid, lukewarm in the middle, but that you're on fire. That you're intentionally cool for those that need that. In fact, the imagery that came to my mind were these icy hot patches. They're my best friends. I enjoy this, but this is just fantastic. It starts out, and it knows what I need when I put it on. Somehow it just knows what I need. It never has let me down. Anybody ever tried these before? Some of you, these are the large ones. They go across. Some of them, they would wrap around your whole waist, but uh, they're huge, and they're awesome. And I want to encourage you to think about living in such a way that some of the time, this is cool, and sometimes it's hot and depends. It reacts what the need is. Somehow it senses, it reads it, it knows. And it's just exactly what I need. So when people are, are suffering, you be healing. You bring warmth to them when they're in the cold, when they're hurting. And what's miraculous is that you can do both of this at the same time. In fact, when you live refreshingly cool and therapeutically warm, you'll live with bold faith. And you'll be victorious that's how Jesus described it. So what will it take for you to live refreshingly cool and therapeutically warm? And maybe Jesus wants to come to you today just like he did to the church in Laodicea. And he wants you to know that he's standing at the door and he's knocking. And he's inviting you to open the door, to allow him to come in and to eat with you. That's a metaphor for let me come in and rescue you. 
We go into every nook and cranny. You don't just open the door and give him access to the living room or to the kitchen. You say, here are the closets. Here's the basement. Here's the attic. You re- Seriously, you want to go up into the attic? Yep, I want to go up into the attic. By my Holy Spirit, I want to have access to every single part of your life so that you don't live self-sufficient, so that you are dependent upon me. And ultimately, so you don't get complacent. That you don't get indifferent to the needs around you. That you're intentionally looking for such opportunities to be therapeutically warm, refreshingly cool in your day, in your generation, so that we could hear what the Spirit says, so that we could live victoriously. Would you bow your hearts with me? I want to pray for us, and we're going to respond. Worship team's coming, and today is a time for us to gather around the Lord's Supper. If you're a guest with us this morning or newer to the church and haven't been around here, we typically take it together. But today I felt like it was a day for us to respond individually. So as the worship team leads in songs and they'll play and there may be some words sung, there may be some instrumental moments, there are four tables, four corners in the room, and I want to invite you to go and to get a piece of bread and get a cup and come and many of you will find a place to pray around the front, kneel. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with someone else that you came with if you'd like to do that. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to respond to what you've heard today. You might want to do it seated. You might want to kneel. You might want to stand. You might want to go into one of the other areas in the back there. However you want to do this, I'm not going to orchestrate it. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But as we pray, I want to invite you to prepare your hearts. And when you're ready, we'll stand. And when you're ready, then you can go get it and come back. Take it on your own. Then we'll sing some together and then we'll conclude. But this is an opportunity for us to talk to Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for the words that you've left recorded for us. Would you please forgive us for our self-sufficiency, for any way in which pride or arrogance may have just slipped in. We've tried with our resources, our time, our smarts, our abilities, our talents. Lord, we've, we've tried to be self-sufficient. We do need you. It's a dead end living like that. We do need you. And we submit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves before you today. Thank you, Lord, for helping us through your word today to face our own wretchedness, our pitifulness, our poorness, our blindness, our nakedness. Lord, ultimately, we want our security and our identity to be found in you. So, Lord, would you please clothe us with your righteousness, grant us vision that sees your reality around us all day long. Lord, would you please forgive us for our complacency, for our half-hearted devotion, and maybe it's become an indifference to the things that really break your heart. There are people all around us who desperately need us to live intentionally hot, intentionally cold. And as we intersect with them, give us the wisdom to know how to live, how to react, how to interact with them. Forgive us, Lord, for living in ways that are other than refreshingly cool or therapeutically warm. Thank you that you love us enough to confront us with that, that you don't want us to walk away 
that you want to have a relationship with us. You want to sit down and share a meal, not just today, but every day for the rest of our lives and then for all of eternity with you. We want to be, as individuals and as a family of believers, this faith family of Riverside, Lord, we want to be an oasis for those who are thirsty. We want to be a place where people can find healing and wholeness and comfort. We recognize, Lord, that that requires us to move past complacency. For those, Lord, that are afraid to open up, they're afraid to say that they're thirsty. They're afraid to acknowledge that they're hurting, they're wounded, they're afflicted. They're afraid what others might say or they're afraid of rejection. God, would you give them the courage and the strength to step forward and say, I need help. They're hiding their pain. They've been hesitant to be transparent. And Father, I pray for those this morning that need to confess and repent and begin following you, that you would give us all that courage to open that door. We hear your spirit speaking. We sense you knocking in our lives. Would you help us to open that door that we might be full, we might be submitted, we might be God-dependent, and we might be anything but complacent. Jesus, This communion that we receive today reminds us of your broken body and your shed blood. They're reminders of your love for us. So thank you for that. Thank you for sending us that mail today to remind us. We respond now by faith as you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.